So Money Episode 77, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Sunday. I'm Farnoosh, your host. This is Ask Farnoosh, our weekend edition of So Money, where every Saturday and Sunday I answer your questions that have been coming through. Uh, very simple to ask me a question or leave a comment. Just hop onto somoneypodcast.com, click on where you see Ask Farnoosh, and then ask away. So, all right, let's get to it. Without further ado, we've got a question here from Eric. Eric writes in, he says, what are the best firms for financial planning. I like to manage my own money, but it would be helpful to discuss planning and better and different scenarios. It seems most advisors want to manage your money, not advise you about it. Um, I need to know things like, can I retire in five years if I cut expenses by 75%? But what if I can only cut 40%? What if I work part-time and make three-fourths of my salary? It's those questions that are difficult to work out alone. Yeah, Eric, I totally agree with you. Uh, it's important to work with someone who understands what your goals are, what your objectives are, and is not just interested in getting you some sort of rate of return on your retirement account or your investment portfolio. That's one aspect of overall holistic financial planning, but it's not what uh, should be the entire focus. And I think that what you, who you want to work with here in this case is a certified financial planner, someone who is designated uh, to be a fiduciary, to act and, and uh, to perform on your behalf, to really consider your best interest. And I work with someone like this, and I can tell you, uh, you know, my planner is not just talking numbers with me. In fact, a lot of the time we're talking about goals, we're talking about short-term um, ambitions, whether it's renovating our home to long-term retirement uh, goals. So I think that person is out there for you. You probably just haven't come across the right person. And so what I would say is... Uh, do a better search. Go to sites like uh, garrettplanningnetwork.com. There's napfa.org, which is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Um, there's the bamalliance.com. And also uh, plannersearch.org is a site where you can uh, look up certified financial planners that have the CFP designation. And it's really important that you get somebody that has that designation. And also really important that when you meet with these people, and I and I recommend that you cast a medium-sized net of, say, three to five interviews with potential planners, and that you sense from that very first inter- interview, that very first meeting, and that meeting is free, that they're curious about you. You know, they're asking the right questions about what your goals are. You know, if they're not asking you questions like, you know, what's your objective? Uh, What are your goals in the next five years? What are your goals in the next 10 years? How do you like your job? You know, they need to learn as much about you in order to really uh, make the right kinds of recommendations. And if they're just throwing these sort of like PowerPoint decks at you or these Excel decks that show you how much they've, you know, they've earned for their clients over the years percentage wise, I mean, that's that can be impressive, but it's really not what, what you're looking for, and it's not what anybody really should just be focused on. We want planners that can help us with kind of our, our 
our goals and uh, all of the objectives that we want to achieve, you know, the, the financial planning, the 360 financial planning, that's not just about getting us a rate of return on our stocks, but really talking about things like insurance and wills and uh, retirement planning and college savings planning. And yeah, can you retire, you know, say in five years? These are questions, these are really good questions, and you should pose them to anybody who's going to potentially work with you. And and. I say you want to work with somebody that you also like. <laughs> so make sure that, you know, as you're interviewing with these people, that the people that the person or people that you feel most connected to or you feel like they're really, they understand you, they get you, probably a good sign. Follow your instincts. Okay. Melissa, Melissa now asks, thank you for the valuable content you provide and taking the time to answer your listeners' questions. Well, it's my pleasure, Melissa. She says, my question's a little vague. But I'm wanting to invest in something that will compound interest. Unfortunately, I've waited around and I'm 32 years old now, no retirement plan, and very little in savings. I was thinking of a Roth IRA, but I thought I read that you couldn't invest in this if you were self-employed. I'm not currently self-employed, but it's likely that I will be in the near future. Do you have an opinion on what my best option would be? Well, Melissa, the... The, I don't know where you read that or where you thought you read that you couldn't invest in a Roth IRA unless you were employed at a, you know, a company, um, but that is not true. In fact, you can invest in a Roth IRA. Um, being self-employed does not uh, prohibit you from investing in a Roth IRA. Any individual who has taxable compensation or self-employment income um, for the year can establish and fund a Roth IRA. And, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, I, I'm a big fan of Roth IRAs. I have a Roth IRA. Uh, I started one when I was younger. The advantage here with a Roth IRA is that um, whatever money you invest that grows and then you pull it out of retirement, that money that you take out in retirement is tax-free. You don't get to lower your taxable income today with the contributions like a traditional IRA, but... A traditional IRA, you have to pay taxes on those withdrawals in retirement. With a Roth IRA, you don't. So it's great if you uh, suspect, you like many Americans, that in retirement, you're going to have a higher tax bracket. You're going to have higher tax exposure. So it's one way to kind of shield your investments from taxes is to have this Roth IRA, um, to shield your investments from taxes in the future, I should say. Uh, but that said, I think that, you know, it's something that, if you can take advantage of it now, you should because the more money that you make, the less likely you're going to be able to qualify for a Roth IRA. To be eligible to make a regular contribution, you have to have a certain modified adjusted gross income. Um, and every year, the IRS uh, tends to adjust that MAGI. And you have to be making less than that amount, whatever that is for that year, um, in order to f be able to fully contribute up to the total amount, up to the maximum amount uh, that the IRS is allowing you to contribute that year. And so this year, if you're married filing jointly, your ability to contribute begins to phase out after you start earning $183,000 or more. If you're single, then you can contribute the full amount, which this year is $5,500, as long as you earn less than $116,000. So perhaps what you read um, is that 
a lot of self-employed individuals um, tend to make good money. So, so, well, you know, not everyone, but the idea is that when you're self-employed, perhaps you're making more money. And perhaps then, uh, in that case, you're not necessarily going to qualify for the full contribution to a Roth IRA. You're probably going to start phasing out. So uh, if you're not there yet, I would say absolutely take advantage of a Roth IRA. And if you're working for an employer right now that has a 401k, do that too. Um, because with a 401k, you can actually contribute. I believe this year it's up to, I want to say uh, $17,500 or $18,000. It's kind of a either or, but a lot more than, than an IRA. And you get a different kind of tax benefit, right? You get to deduct the uh, contribution from your taxable income uh, that year. So it's another way to sort of diversify your tax exposure in retirement. Um, so that's what I would say for you. And so if you can qualify for a Roth, do it. Ron writes in, he says, I'm 60 years old, living comfortably off my investments. I'm in excellent health. I take no prescription drugs. My own home, I own my own home and I have zero debt. I'm planning to live long past 100. Should I wait to take Social Security until 70 or begin in my early 60s? My fear is that Social Security may get reduced or altered in the coming years. Well, Ron, sounds like you are ready to take retirement by the reins. And I, um, I admire you. I, I hope that everyone listening will someday write in and have the same kind of <laughs> feedback for me that, you know, you're owning your own home, you have zero debt, you're going to live past 100. I hope that... Um, this is inspiring. It's inspiring to me. So here's what I would say about Social Security. And in fact, this is not a, you're not singular in your fear about Social Security. You're concerned about the fact that this, um, you know, government program um, is in a uncertain state. And the reality is, is that the Congressional Budget Office reported a while back that the country's Social Security program um, is going to run a more than $500 billion deficit over the next decade. And according to the government, if nothing changes, um, the trust fund, the Social Security uh, fund, will be depleted and the benefits will be cut for all recipients by 2041. 2041. So today, 2015, that's what, um, 26 years from now? So I think if you are uh, in your 60s and you're looking to collect in the next 10 years, you have nothing to worry about. My concern is millennials and those who are perhaps not working yet, who uh, will be soon and looking to pay into Social Security. I think that for the younger generation, I always tell them that um, if you're lucky to get Social Security, great, but don't bank on it, don't count on it. Um, you know, obviously, if you're paying into it, something's going to have to happen. The government can't just like say, well, thanks for your money. We're not going to give you anything in return. That is going to cause like, you know, just riots. But I think that for those who are approaching retirement today, uh, it's a valid concern. Social Security has not been having the best uh, public relations campaign. Um, so I would say just, you know, if you can wait to start collecting later in your life, I, I would. It's very compelling. The longer that you wait, the, the higher your payout will be. I believe it goes up an average of 8% every year. At 70, you have to start withdrawing. But if you can wait till then or as close to 70, I would. I think given that you don't have any debt, that you own your own home, um, you're not taking any prescription drugs, it seems like your costs are pretty reasonable at this moment in time. So if you can afford to wait, I would. 
Tracy writes and she says, Hi, Farnoosh. I'm single. I'm 40 years old. I live in Los Angeles. I was laid off for my job, and now I have an opportunity to work in Vancouver, British Columbia, for a year. My main concern is any financial ramifications of this international move, healthcare, taxes, retirement savings, exchange rates, etc. Can you offer advice or point me to resources with information to help me determine if this move would be a smart financial decision? Thank you. Well, Tracy, congratulations. One door shuts, another one opens. <laughs> um, I've been laid off, so I know exactly how you feel. You want to kind of take um, seize the moment, right? If there's an opportunity that comes and you've just been laid off, you know, you're really wanting to see if this is going to make sense. You're hoping yes. And here's what I would do. I mean, now if you have the time to take some time to research this, to do research, I would start by making some phone calls. And the first phone call that I would make or email, but preferably phone call, is to contact the human resources department at this company that's recruiting you in Vancouver. And I'm sure they have experience um, with recruiting expats or recruiting people that are not Canadians and ask them, you know, what uh, what's the transition like? What can I expect? How do you assist? Uh, maybe they'll uh, have a lot of insights that they haven't shared with you yet because it maybe hasn't gotten to that level of conversation yet with you. Like they've offered this job to you. Um, I think now's a good time to go back and say, I'm interested, but I need to answer some questions. I'm hoping that you can help or point me in the right direction. So absolutely do that first. Now, with regards to healthcare and taxes and savings, I have some other advice. So with healthcare, as far as healthcare under the Canada Health Act goes, um, expats moving to Canada are eligible for healthcare under its Medicare system. Um, in some provinces, you might face like a three-month wait before you can access those services. So it's it might be worth it to look for private health coverage in that interim period. I would also call your current healthcare provider and ask what's going to happen to your coverage if you move. Some healthcare companies have overseas coverage. Um, maybe you can put it on hold, your benefits on hold in the States while you do this job for a year and perhaps move back and then that healthcare will still be there sitting there waiting for you. I'm not really sure, but that's another phone call you want to make. You want to call your health insurance provider and say, hey, I'm considering this move. Um, if you plan on keeping residency in the States, maybe if you've you know got a home that you're renting or owning here, you're not going to do anything with it, that might still give you eligible kind of U.S. status uh, residency. So uh, maybe that's all they need to know, and then they'll be fine giving you the coverage or just perhaps putting it on a freeze until you come back. Or, hey, maybe they've got some way to cover you while you're in Canada. As for taxes... You know, you have to file your income tax return and you will be able to get the relevant forms from uh, what I understand is the Canada Revenue Agency. It's kind of like their IRS. So uh, it's important that you get familiar with that. Um, and what I've understood is that the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency, they have a lot of volunteers throughout the country through their volunteer income tax program who can guide you through the who can guide you through filling out those forms and they're very familiar with kind of the expat situation. I would also though before if you're serious about doing this, I would definitely consult with a tax specialist or a tax preparer or a CPA, a certified public accountant before you move just to say, "Hey, um here's what here's what I'm thinking and here's what I'm doing. 
what do I need to just be aware of, like in case you uh, might be subject to double taxes, paying taxes in the US and Canada. The good news about Canada is like the tax situation there is pretty awesome. So from what I get, from what I gather, <laughs> so hopefully your tax exposure is not gonna be that much in Canada. As far as your money goes, I would say check to see if your bank has any presence in Canada or if they have partner banks where you can access your funds. Um, if not, you might want to set up a new bank account there and do some sort of transfer over so that you have access to your funds and that you can have some sort of liquidity while you're there. I would also, as far as retirement goes, call your existing retirement plan managers, retirement plan advisors, um, wherever you have them, whether it's at work, current office, or a bank or a brokerage and ask how this potential move will impact your ability to continue investing in those accounts. It may not impact at all. Um, as long as you're earning money, you can you know, put money in towards retirement. I'm not sure, but this is all what I would do if I were you. And um, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I do have sometimes the intuition about where to start to collect your answers and where to where to go to get the best resources. So good luck to you. Keep us posted. I'd be curious to know if this move works out, if you take the job, and and how much of this advice actually helped. And uh, that's all. That's all, guys. That's our Sunday edition of Ask Farnoosh. Thank you so much to all of you who've been writing in your questions. I have so many that I didn't get to, in fact, that I'm going to actually have to lay over till next weekend. So stick around. Lots of great guests coming your way this week. By the way, if you want to send me your questions, like I said at the top of the show, just hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and ask away. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope you have a great winding down to your weekend. I hope your day is so money.